Hi, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. I have a surprise one for you today. I haven't told you who I'm doing. Yeah. Has it, have you only just found out about them? This is like a new person to everyone, including you. This is a new person to me. Uh, my parents told them about me last week because they watched a documentary on this person. Mm. So I'm sure some other listeners will have already seen the documentary, but I'm hoping to fill in some gaps. I was going to do that last week. I started watching a documentary on someone I wanted to do and then I found out that they were quite atrocious in many ways and then I decided not to do them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, it's hard because like some of the people that I might want to do maybe in the future yeah. are obviously Nazis because that's <laughs> what my you know realm of, of work, like my academic work is about. But I think that's easy because you like because you kind of like you know where you're going with them. Like I guess it's just like from the beginning they're atrocious. They're a bad guy. That's that's <laughs> like that's the point of the, like the podcast. This guy was meant to be kind of cool. And I was like, oh, maybe he's not actually. Did Charlotte just drop a pan in the background? I just no. had like a, a a clink. That must be from somewhere else in the block. It's <laughs> a problem with like living in like a massive block like this. Everything's just like everyone's so close. So. I think we should talk about what the hell is happening in America at the moment. Yeah, it's really scary. I mean, it's so hard to kind of know what to do or say. I think the only thing you can really do from here, from this distance is to, you know, support social media wise, like in a respectful way, but also, you know, donate if you can. Yeah. And just make sure that your information is up to date and accurate. And also, yeah. I'm trying to, like, not say too much, to be honest, because yeah. I don't know I'm not there. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know the facts, and I support as much as I can from this distance, and I just hope that everyone that I know in America is safe. And that's that's kind of what's going through my head at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's strange seeing it. Like, parallels can be drawn with what's going on in, like, Hong Kong, which is uh, which is really bad, because it kind of, like... It puts, it damages like the 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 cause of like the people of Hong Kong, because if you have America that's trying to criticize the Chinese government and they're doing this, and a lot of the examples I've seen, a lot of what I've seen happening on the streets of America looks worse than what happened in Hong Kong. So they don't really have like a moral standpoint anymore. They don't have. Yeah, it's really difficult because you kind of there's it doesn't seem like there's an end point. No. What is the end point for this? Because it's no longer, like, just justice for one man. No. It's, you know, an escalation of problems that have always been there. Yeah. And is it end point all the problems go away? Because then, if that's the case, it's going to take a really long time and a lot of effort on so many people's parts. Yeah, I think this is a problem, like... This is something we don't, people don't really realise. Like, these problems are so deeply ingrained. Segregation laws were, like, up until the 60s or something. Like, everything is so recent still. Yeah, that is definitely true. From here as well, I also don't feel comfortable with going out into massive protests. Like, I know no. there's been stuff happening in Trafalgar Square and stuff, but with the lockdown, I don't think it's sensible. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid groups. I mean, I do think most people should, but... Obviously, with what's going on in America, there's priorities. and Yeah, yeah. Me and uh, Matt have decided that we're going to 
do a two-person like debate club and we're going to yeah. take like a for and against stance on like different topics and then we're going to like research the topics and then we're going to like debate each other oh nice on the topic so we're doing the first one we're doing is the dropping of the Hiroshima bomb for and against ah. I am against he is for oh boy so I'll let you know how that one goes yeah yeah I'm intrigued oh Dan this is episode 10 is it so now we have to step up all of our social media we will I think efforts yeah <laughs> that that was a problem that was a katie and dan guarantee we're gonna help all the major platforms or are we just adding instagram i can't remember which one it is well we've added instagram oh we so have it can now follow us at have you ever pod on instagram okay do you want to tell me about your person okay i do want to tell you about my person have you ever heard of lee miller the name rings a bell but it's not coming to me. Okay, so Lee Miller is most famous for being, first of all, a model, then a muse, a fashion icon, a photographer, an artist, and a war correspondent. Okay, then. Wow. She's like a human Swiss army knife. Amazing. So the documentary that I just watched is on BBC iPlay. You can go watch it now. A lot of this research comes from that documentary, but I did also fill in some of the gaps from around the internet. Cool, cool. She was born on the 23rd of April, 1907. She was born Elizabeth Miller, but she was known as Lee. Mm-hmm. And she grew up in Poughkeepsie, which is New York. Okay. Um, she's the daughter of Theodore and Florence Miller, and she had a younger brother named Eric and an older one named John. Um, originally, when she was younger, she had a lot of problems in school, including being expelled multiple times from different schools. Badass. So she's a bit of like a rebel right from the start. She began modelling like from birth um, for her father, Theodore, who was like an amateur photographer. And some people see these pictures as very like dubious. Oh yeah, okay then. Because they were often completely naked, like nude photographs. But others say that Lee was completely willing participant. Uh, Her family were just more open with each other and comfortable nudity. And as far as we know, she had no distress posing for her father nude. But was she, but she was a baby, right? No, when she was, like, a bit older. Oh, okay, then. Like, so this like... is when she started, like, you know, when she was a baby or whatever, you know, there was normal pictures. Of yeah, yeah. But then, like, there are a lot of ones for when she was a teenager where she's nude. I see. And there's, like, different sides of the debate, but, you know, in this documentary, they say, like, there's no indication that she had any kind of distress doing this for her father so maybe they were just one of those i do know actually those families who are just more comfortable with nudity around each other and i'm like how are you naked right now (laughs) (laughs) but some people just are um so in 1925 lee moved to paris for a year to study lighting costume and design and then in 1926 she moves back to new york to study life drawing and painting So, yeah, this is when she is, like, 19. So she's in New York. And the story goes that Lee is crossing the road in New York, try and Mm -hmm. imagine it, with all the, like, yellow taxis. And she accidentally steps out in front of a car, and she falls down. And a man helps her up, and that man just happens to be Condé Nast, who is the owner of Vogue, Vanity Fair, and The New Yorker. 
Oh, wow. So that's the story. I don't know if that actually happened, though. I have I saw it on the documentary and other places on the internet, so... So she literally fell into her job. <laughs> so she literally <laughs> fell into, like, the, one of the most powerful men in the whole of the fashion uh, in, and journalism industry, and that particular company is still called Condé Nast, even though he's been dead since the 40s, yeah. and they still run Vogue, Fancy Fair, and The New Yorker. So mm-hmm. it's like a big, you know, name. Yeah. Basically, flash forward, and she's on the cover of Vogue. Um, she's appearing in Vogue regularly throughout the twenties, and there are some amazing photos from nineteen twenty-eight. You know, I'm going to mention photos a lot during this podcast, and I'll I'll tell you guys like which ones to look up because some of these photos are like stunning, not just of Lee, but photos that she took. So, you know, if you want to write any of these down, try Lee Miller. 1928 folk. <laughs> it's quite funny because most people always seem to think of like the 60s as like the first era of like models, but like the 20s was like incredibly fashionable, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you look at her style at this time, it's that kind of really short bobbed hair, like yeah, yeah, yeah. thoroughly modern Millie with the flapper kind of girl style. Yeah. But she's very, she's interesting looking. She's kind of more out of the box. And as you'll see, that's where she goes with her life and work. Yeah. So Lee starts talking about photography while she's modelling because she's learned a lot from her father and she's told she should go to Paris and learn under the amazing Man Ray. So we all know, well, most people know who Man Ray is, but I didn't know this about Man Ray. So Paris, 1929. Lee goes to Paris and goes to Man Ray and says, I'm your new student. And Man Ray says, I don't have students. And she says, yes, you do. And it's me. So she literally <laughs> just goes up to this amazing surrealist artist who's super cool and famous and is like, I'm your new student. <laughs> Basically, he's like, you're gorgeous. And this gorgeous woman just falls into his lap, basically. So she becomes <laughs> not just his student, but also his lover and muse. So... They took these amazing, daring photographs together. They're very surrealist. She was often the model. He was the photographer. But he wasn't like, this is my work. He was like, this is our work. You know, oh, they're cool. very, like, together in in their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a part of this awesome, like, surrealist movement where muses were part of the art. Oh, that's cool. Lee also started taking her own photos and had her own studio in Paris. For example, another one you can look up is... In 1932, she took a portrait of Charlie Chaplin, and she also worked for Vogue in Paris. So Vogue is somewhere that she would be connected with for, like, her whole career. Um, She had other friends, like, artist friends, and one of them was Pablo Picasso. So there's some people that write about their relationship. However, Man Ray really wanted to, like, control her, and she wasn't a controllable woman. Like, (laughs) Lee Miller... She wanted to do her own thing. What is it with these artists? <laughs> Relationship-wise, this didn't work out. So after three years, they split up, and Lee goes back to New York. So, New York, 1932. Lee and her brother start up a photography studio under the name The Lee Miller Studio. Um, she's the photographer, and he's like a darkroom assistant. Uh-huh. And they took portraits of famous people and... They, she was included in exhibitions around New York. And then, maybe out of... It seems a bit out of the blue, but I guess it was a couple of years later. In 1934, she marries Aziz Ilu Bey. 
who is an Egyptian businessman, and Lee moves to Cairo. Oh, that's a change. I'm just like, let's go to Cairo. <laughs> I feel like, from the sense that I've got from her, I feel like maybe she wanted, like, she thought it was really exotic and she yeah. was going to take all these amazing photos. And there's, like, these videos of her, like, on camels with, like, flowy trains and stuff. <laughs> so, 1934, Lee's, Lee is in Cairo. But unlike Paris and New York, there's not much for women to be doing in Cairo. Yeah. Um, she yeah, got bored pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and she started taking photos. And she took these amazing photos of, like, sand dunes. Like, the way that the sand just, like, moves in those massive, like, hills. Oh, my God. Oh, Beautiful. Nice. Um, she started going on little expeditions and created, like, surrealist pieces. There's one called Portrait of Space from 1937. And that's an amazing, like, surrealist piece with, like, sand and a mirror. And, yeah. Oh, cool. So you can look that one up. Aziz, being this, like, awesome husband, could see that she was really unhappy, right? So he's like, do you know what? I'm going to buy you a plane to get to Paris and you can go and, like, you know, have a summer in Paris. So this is 1937. And the day that Lee lands in Paris, she hears that there's this big party going on um, where Man Ray mm-hmm. was at. And um, she met Roland Penrose. So Penrose and Lee fall madly in love or uh... maybe lost. <laughs> She was just so free in Paris that summer. There's like all these pictures of her like on these like topless picnic and everything. Because like <laughs> the free love of like the Paris 30s was very much tended to favour like men having their yeah. free love. But she wasn't like that. She harnessed, like embraced her sexuality and she wanted, you know, to enjoy the free love how she wanted nice. to enjoy it. So that was her summer in 1937. But Paris... End of the 1930s, what's coming? Yep. The war. The storm clouds are coming. So she goes back to Egypt and leaves Penrose in Paris. Back in Cairo, Penrose and Lee are writing all the time, trying to, like, he's trying to convince her that he's the one for her, he's the guy for her. Yeah. And eventually Lee leaves Aziz, and Aziz is this, like, awesome guy, and he gives her all these, like, shares so she can be always be independent. Like, he didn't want to let her go back to this other guy until he knew she was taken care of. And I think that's just, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and so unexpected for, like, the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, London, 1939. So Lee goes to live with Penrose, who is now in London. Uh, So is he a British guy? Yeah, he's English, yeah. English artist. So... She takes all these amazing photographs of, like, bombed London. So London and the Blitz, like, all these awesome photos of, like, what's going on in the war in London. She meets Audrey Withers, who is this awesome woman who is actually the British Vogue editor. And basically, she starts working for Withers. And she does all these, like, make-do-and-mend photo shoots around, like, London with all these, like, kind of (laughs) questionable-looking clothes because, (laughs) you know, the moment... They're not getting all these like fashionable clothes. They're doing all this like it's like this woman standing in like a homemade dress in amongst the rubble of of London. <laughs> it's so awesome. You wouldn't imagine Vogue to do that kind of thing. And oh, this gosh, is one of the things that really like got me about this was wow, Vogue was awesome in the war. <laughs> um <laughs> women's magazines were doing like really well during the war because all the men were like off fighting and the women were at home. 
and they needed magazines, so <laughs> they were still being printed. So Lee's biggest step was her move from photographer to photojournalist. So Lee meets a man called Dave Sherman, who was a war photographer for Life magazine, mm-hmm. and they became really good friends. And Sherman moved in with Lee and um, Penrose, and they had a kind of like menage a trois. I don't know <laughs> whether it was like romantic or sexual um, or not, but I think there was there was at least they were at least living together. Yeah, and Lee basically started off as a war correspondent for Vogue. She went and bought like a war style uniform from London <laughs> and jollied off to France. So the plan was that she would go into this town called St. Malo for Vogue, which was already past the fighting stage, mm-hmm. and talk to women there and how it had been for them, etc. However, there had been some really bad intelligence and St. Malo was not out of fighting. In fact, she was dropped there in the middle of the biggest part of fighting they had. And all of a sudden she was under sniper fire and heavy bombing. And she was the only photographer there. So she had to start writing as well. And she saw all sorts of stuff. You know, there's this one quote where she's in this like rubble and there's like a decapitated arm next to her and she like there's some sniper thing and so she like throws the arm out of the yeah out the guy and i was just like wow this having gone from like i know she had the expense of london but it's nothing like being in the middle of a war zone um yeah they had this other woman on the documentary who's a current photojournalist i wish i had remembered her name, a war correspondent. She said, like, you know, when she's in Syria or, and, like, or ISIS are there mm. and she has to run from building to building and she doesn't know whether or not, like, that's going to be her last run because yeah, there's, crazy. like, there's bullets going and she said, basically, Lee must have felt that adrenaline just yeah. kept her going. Um, just to give you a bit of context of women at this time, there were no British women war correspondents and only four US ones and she was one of them so that's how rare it was for women to be a war correspondent at the time so she has a really big body of work for St. Malay if you type in St. Malay Lee Miller you'll see some of them and the tone of the the tone of the um, photographs gets more and more dark towards her time there because she saw so much and that kind of dark Edge stayed with her for like almost the rest of her career. So she then goes to Paris um, as the war is coming to the end with Dave Sherman, the guy from Life magazine mm-hmm. who she was living with. And they take photographs of like the war coming to an end in Paris. So this is 1944. So, you know, it's kind of coming to an end, but it's still really damaged. Mm-hmm. They then go to um, Leipzig in 1945 with Dave Sherman. She goes into Leipzig and she's taking all these like pictures of um, Germans, like dead bodies of yeah. of people that were Nazis or SS people. Mm-hmm. There's one called the the Bürgermeister's daughter in town hall, mm. which is just this stunning photograph of this young woman who is has just been. Um, you know, just died, and this in her like Nazi uniform over this like kind of bench, and the light is hitting her in this beautiful way, and you're just like, how did it come to this? You know. Oh wow! 
Um, it's a really powerful photograph, and it was published in Vogue. Oh, really? Yeah, along. See, this is a surprising thing. Along yeah. with a lot of her other photos, they were published in Vogue. Lee really started to hate the Germans at this time, and yeah. she took lots of photographs of like dead SS men and Germans and other photographs. So understandable. So, um, Lee and Sherman are in Germany. So they end up going to Dachau. Yikes. Um, they literally arrived during the liberation of Dachau. Um, they took a lot of photographs of the prisoners and of Germans being arrested in the barracks of like dead SS men lying face down in the mud of like piles of dead bodies of all the mal- malnourished people there. Loads of the these photos. I mean, as historians, we've all seen the photographs from mm. concentration camps. But they're just so... These photographs are stunning photographs and you can never, ever be desensitised to these photographs, yeah. however many you've seen. So if you type in Lee Mila Dachau, you'll get some of these photographs. And really, a lot of people say that you can't walk away from that and I really think that that's what happened to Lee Miller. She was only in Dachau for a few hours, but um, straight after that, she decided to go... Her and Sherman decided to go to Hitler's apartment in Munich. So yeah. she said that she had carried Hitler's address of his apartment in Munich around with her for months. Um, so Sherman and Lee get there, and there's a couple of other people there, like, um, not Germans, but like mm. people that have just been using it as a kind of respite, like journalists yeah. and stuff. Um, and they said that this is the first time that they'd seen a bathtub in ages, because they're war correspondents. So they take a bath, in Hitler's bathtub. And there's a really <laughs> famous photograph of, of Lee that, that Sherman took washing off the mud of Dachau in Hitler's bathtub. And she's oh, like wow. rubbed the dirt from her boots off in like off in his like nice carpet. And there's these like dirty boots and she's there washing herself off in Hitler's bathtub. Um, she also took a picture of Sherman um, in the bathtub, but the one of Lee is slightly more famous. They also slept in Hitler's bed while they were there. And yeah. other people like used the sink to shave and they like used just used it like it was, you know, an old abandoned apartment. Little did they know that very same day Hitler had shot himself in his bunker. So that would be the thirtieth of April nineteen forty five. Interesting. Um so London nineteen forty six. So she returns home to uh, Penrose, and has some sort of like PTSD by this point. Yeah. Penrose has taken up with someone else in London, but Sherman convinces Lee to go home and her and Penrose like make up. Mm-hmm. However, Penrose has to learn how to deal with her. She was totally different after the war. She tries to go back into fashion photography, but she just can't make it work. It doesn't take. Basically, Lee starts to become an alcoholic at this point. In 1947, she divorces Bay, who she's still married to, and marries Penrose. Mm-hmm. They have a baby boy, um, but she gets prenatal depression. She doesn't really take to motherhood. She's still got these problems of alcohol and PTSD. And Penrose thinks the best solution is to move her to the countryside, because oh, for okay. every man in the 40s, the best solution <laughs> is to move your wife to the countryside. When she's grown up in New York and Paris and London, why would you move someone who is urban to the countryside? I'm like, it's like moving me to the countryside. 
I love it for like a week and then I'm like, <laughs> where are all the people? Where is my concrete jungle? Yeah, having nothing to do is not a good cure for mental health issues. No. So they moved Here to this go. farmhouse in East Sussex, Farley Farmhouse, in 1949. She didn't know anyone in the country and she had no work. She couldn't model anymore. She's kind of a bit older. And she doesn't really have photography anymore either. She didn't want to be celebrated. She actually put her whole life modelling photos, her own photographs, everything in boxes, like mm. boxes of cereal boxes or whatever, and put them in the attic. And her son and daughter-in-law didn't know about her life at all until she died and they found these boxes in the attic. Oh, wow. She never she, told them about it. Never she never told it. her son about it. She wasn't close to her son. Her son was in the documentary talking about how he wished he had known about this stuff when she was alive because they weren't close and he knew her as basically an alcoholic. Oh, nice. Um, and, yeah, he was writing a biography on her. So, yeah, he describes her as like a useless drunk. Um, however, she did discover cooking and she was known later in life for her parties. So <laughs> that's one thing that she didn't discover she liked. I just feel like maybe if she'd been in the city for later life, I don't know whether it would have been good for her because of her alcoholism, but I think maybe, you know, taking her out of her natural environment maybe wasn't so yeah. great. Um, she died of cancer in 1977 and was cremated. And Dave Sherman wrote her obit for Vogue. Um. So in terms of legacy, she's been the inspiration for many designers, including like Gucci. Um, she's had a number of biographies. So Penrose wrote one. Their son, I think, is writing one or has mm. just written one. Um, and there's a substantial one by a woman called Caroline Burke, which is called Lee Miller Life. And also her life was made into a musical. Did really? How? <laughs> I should also point out a couple of other facts. And one of them is that when she was seven years old, she did suffer a really bad trauma. I really don't want to talk about it in this podcast. I don't want to like make it a big part of her because I think hmm. she should be celebrated. But I think it's we should point out that it was there was a big cover up by her family and she was told to keep it secret for like her whole life. And her son only found out about it like recently. Well, since she died. Yeah. Um, and I say that kind of almost explains like her secretiveness and why she wanted to hide a lot of things and how she could detach because when she was seven, she suffered this really bad trauma. And if you want to look it up, you can go on Wikipedia. It's readily available. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I should point out. Also, another fact about her is that in the 1940s and 50s, the MI5 investigated her on suspicion of being a Solbert spy. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I they thought I mean, everyone was a Soviet spy. I know. Then, I was just going to say, like, I swear, I just <laughs> constantly do people that may or may not have been Soviet spies. Maybe we should do. Have you ever heard of people that may or may not have been Soviet spies? <laughs> so that is the interesting life of Lee Miller. Interesting. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'm gonna look her up. Yeah. So the documentary is still on BBC iPlayer, though I did just tell you most of it. <laughs> um. Yeah. It's so sad that she. You know. I wish there'd been like more of her work. Her work is absolutely amazing. Go out there and look at her pictures. Like yes. they are so fantastic. And her her work from the war, but also like her work all over the place. Her portraits are amazing. Her work as a model and muse are amazing. Just such a fascinating life. 
Yeah. Maybe if yeah. she hadn't suffered the PTSD, she maybe would have more work from her, but her work still is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so as I was say, it's sad that she didn't continue her work after the war. That seems to have been like a common affliction for people that partake in any way in the war. Alcoholism. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Primo Levi from episode two, he, you know, wrote a lot and did a lot of work after the war, but then potentially committed suicide. Yeah. And that, you know, it's there's no way you can be the same. I, mean, I can't even say anything about it because I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely amazing woman. And I love the way that she wasn't afraid of her sexuality and she wasn't afraid of, you know, like being... No, I don't want to say one of the guys, but, you know, yeah. doing anything that a man could do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Breaking the kind of uh, gender, gender norms, norms of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's also cool that Vogue actually... Engaged in, like, um, serious journalism. Oh, yeah, I should have said. Um, Vogue actually published her photographs from Dachau. Really? Yeah, so they, she was... Both Vogue UK and Vogue US printed her pictures from Dachau because she was like, everyone has to see this. Yeah. Um. So they agreed to publish it and her, like, words that went with it. So she wrote as well alongside her photographs. And I think that that was, you know, she was inspired. There was a, I think, CBS report from some mm-hmm. photojournalists that were in Bergen-Belsen. Um, and I think she was like, yeah, everyone has to know about this. Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, go watch the documentary. <laughs> I will check it out. And I can't believe I didn't know about her until last week. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I don't know about her. I kind of like war photography I've looked at. But she's never come up. But maybe you have seen a photograph by her. Yeah. You just didn't know it was by her. That's the thing. Especially, like, a lot of the concentration camp photography we see is from Auschwitz. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see the stuff from Dachau as well. Yeah, definitely. Because Dachau is mainly prisoners of war. As oh, really? Yeah. Dachau was the first concentration camp. It was opened in, like, you know, 34. Yeah. Um. So what are you making for dinner tonight, Dan? <laughs> the new segment barbecue Chinese pork put Chinese barbecue pork mm. it's gonna be tasty but not for you because you're a vegetarian I'm sure it would be tasty <laughs> I am making like a pearl barley risotto thing with some lovely veg that I picked up from the green greengrocers tasty uh, yeah it's got like leeks and tomatoes pearl barley pine nuts like a bay leaf obviously you've got to have a bay leaf Oh yeah, absolutely. And nice. yeah. And are you looking forward to the quiz numero two? On oh Thursday? yes, definitely. You're going to win this time. Unlikely. <laughs> uh, tonight, well, for the rest of the week, actually, I'm going to continue watching The Americans. Ah uh, yes. So unbelievably hooked on it. Um. But uh, yeah, speaking so... of uh, Soviet spies, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. The Americans. It's like I think the worst thing about it is like. It's it still happens now, like when when like police go. Those it's been in the news and stuff. People, like when police go like undercover, where they start relationships with people. Yeah. So it's been like a couple of those where like the guy in it just set has set like basically had this really long relationship with like one of the characters that like, he's trying to kind of like 
uh, like used for like for, for Intel to the point where they've got married. Oh my god! And it's so hard. Hang on, is he allowed to do that? I mean, like, yeah, like that. And surely he's using Santa. like a fake name and stuff. Yeah, so he's in a disguise, and then in the end, like. He starts to feel bad about it and shows who she he is to her, like really is to her and stuff. Spoilers. And, like, and then, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, spoilers, spoilers. But um, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm not gonna give any more away. But it, it's just like it's quite crazy, like watching it and thinking about it because it's been in the news so like so much, like not really recently, but I remember reading about it like not too long ago. And that is so harsh doing that to someone. Yeah, that's so weird. Like, imagine if like. Matt turned around to me and he was like, I'm actually like an MI5 agent. Yeah. Firstly, I'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and secondly, I'd be like, okay, so what's your real name, your real background, yeah. like everything? I would be like, no, this isn't okay. Like, or maybe it would like, be awesome. I actually don't know how I'd react. <laughs> well, I think like, the worst thing about it is like, he's obviously married to someone else. And like, oh. in love with someone else. So he's pretending to like love her. And she's just like totally devoted to him. And, like, oh God, it's horrible. <laughs> you can see you in your face so, like, you're like oh no <laughs> you feel like bro- so broken inside there's so many bits of that program where you're just like because you're on their side but there's so much they do you're just like oh no I just that makes me feel queasy like that's horrible I mean it's, that's like, just, it's, all... it's just like the real housewives of Beverly Hills <laughs> I'll take your word for that <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to a bookshop done I need to buy a I mean, I've bought plenty of books, but yeah. I want to buy one from a human. <laughs> <laughs> Not from a computer. I want to spend an hour browsing and then buy one book. <laughs> I only ever buy, like, e-books now. I want to go back to the library. Oh, yeah. Our conserver started talking... again today, so we have... She's been back in conserving. Conserving. Yeah, that's a real job. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to connect with us, you can connect with us on... Both Twitter and Instagram at Have You Ever Pod. Isn't that exciting? We've got yeah. Instagram as well. I post pictures and stuff. <laughs> um, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Bye. Bye. <laughs>